um, I guess it was last week, maybe the week before that, he said uh, that they were going to be out for two weeks, and he asked me, he said, uh, do you think you could cover the pulpit? He said, or, or, or get your boys, because I have two sons, and, and they both preach, um, and he said, or get your boys to come up and preach, and I was like, you know what, great, I'll call my two sons, they'll cover one, the other one will cover the other one, it'll, but guess what? They, neither one could come. So you got me for two weeks in a row here, but that's okay, because what we are going to talk about is uh, pretty, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of meat in there, and so what we don't finish today, we'll move it into next week. That's the way God works. He handles that. So um, what we're going to talk about today, or this morning, is what John Popper calls the most important paragraph in the Bible. What Leon Morris, a New Testament scholar, says is the most important single paragraph ever written. And what Martin Lloyd-Jones says are the greatest verses in the entire Bible on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, cliffhanger, before we get there, you've got to know what's happening, right? We'll read the scriptures, I promise, we're going to read scriptures. Um, but you've got to have a kind of a, 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 an understanding, a context of what's happening prior to when we get where we're going to start, which is in Romans. So, um, we back up. And beginning in Romans 1, about verse 18, running all the way through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, what Paul does is present the case for the condemnation of the entire sinful human race. And on that happy note, no, really, I mean, that's what he does. He just, like, everybody needs to go to hell. That's what he, that's kind of the first part of what he does. And he explains that God's wrath would be channeled towards those who, what he says, suppress the truth, um, with their godlessness. He talks about the sexual impurity of the people and how they gave in to their lust. He even called them God-haters. Would that freak you out if someone called you a God-hater, right? He said the people were storing up wrath because of their hatred. He rebuked the Jews because of their hypocritical ways because what he said was, there's many of you that are preaching but you're not acting. You're preaching the word of God, but you're not acting upon the God, word of God. So, I mean, he just, he, he just called them out right there. And he said that pretty much all mankind that finds itself outside of Christ is under the wrath of God. So that was like the first three chapters, right? So we get to where we're going to be today, which is Romans 3, starting in verse 21. And when we come up to verse 21, when we get there, we get this dramatic shift, right? Um, as Paul moves from condemnation to justification, and this brings us to where we're going to be today. So if you would stand with me, we're going to start, we're going to uh, be in Romans 3, we're going to go, start in verse 21 through verse 26, and it says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time 
so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to come before you, to worship you. We pray, Lord, that the Spirit would move today, that the Spirit would speak through me. Lord, I pray that you remove me because nobody came to hear me talk. They came to hear your word. So we pray that your word would move amongst us today. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, be seated, please. All right, so before we get started, we've talked about what they, let me tell you something. If you see my wife doing this, that means slow down because I have a tendency to talk. And if you see her making little bunny ears, that's her way of telling me to get back on topic. So she's not weird, but oh, also tomorrow is our 31st anniversary. And I wanted to tell you I love you because she puts up a lot. All right, a little bit disclaimer here. I would suggest that you have your Bible open or your app on your phone or whatever and follow along because if you don't, you're going to be really dazed and confused because the way Paul writes is he writes in this, he writes in run-on sentences. And it's almost like he, you know, the God's talking to him and he's taking, he's writing. And then, a, you know, he writes the first thing last and the last thing first. And then there'll be these little things, and these little phrases in there. It's almost like he's writing along and then God says this. And he goes, oh, well, that describes something three verses ahead. So I would suggest that you follow along because that's the way we're going to take our, 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 our lesson today is we're going to take it the way it's written. So we're going to be jumping from all up around. So that's kind of our just now. Having said all that, today what I want to do is I really want to focus on verses 23 and 24. 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That's where we want to focus our attention today. Verse 23 explains the universal need of every human being. And if you don't like that word need, put in the word problem. And verse 24 gives us the all-sufficient remedy for that need or for that problem. And what these two verses say is more important to your future than any self-help book that you could ever read. Any, anything ever written by man, these two verses are more important. These words of God that were spoken through Paul show us our true condition. And what God has done to save those who put their truth in Jesus. John Piper said... If the truth of these two verses becomes the foundation of your life, you will be able to weather any crisis. So there's the big buildup. That's where we're going to go. Now let's get into some meat here. Let's break these down. Starting in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Pretty simple, isn't it? Every one of us has sinned. There are no exceptions. In the Greek, what this indicates is that this sin occurred at the fall of Adam. And the result of that sin is that we all, it says, fall short of God's glory. Now that little term, that little phrase, fall short, right? Stereo. It expresses the idea of a deficit, of coming up short, or more literally, lacking. So we all have sinned, and we lack the glory of God. So what does that mean? What does it mean to lack the glory of God? Does it mean that we're supposed to all be just as glorious as God, but we're not, so we lack a little bit? 
No, it's not what it means. One of the things that, and I am no scholar, but one of the things that uh, sitting through and reading and studying that I have found is that the best way to understand the Bible is let the Bible teach you what the Bible means. So we're going to do that today. I'm going to be looking at other verses to look at words. So um, when we look at what it means, what the glory, we have to go back and we have to look at what Paul said in chapter 1 about the glory of God. Now, in Romans 1.18, there they are, all right, good. In Romans 1.18, Paul is describing what he said, he's describing the people that he said suppress the truth of unrighteousness. And he slips down to, into, into verse 23 of chapter 1, and he says about these people who suppress the truth, that they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And then down a little further in verse 28, he says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, then God gave them over to their depraved minds to do the things which are not proper. So what do we see here in these verses is that they exchanged the glory of God for an image or for an idol, and they refused to acknowledge God. So the picture that we have is that we have all sinned, and that sin is the rejection of God and his glory as the ultimate standard for our lives, for the center of our lives. Sin is dishonoring to God. It mocks his glory by not trusting him, by not treasuring him, by not wanting him as the foundation and center of our lives. And so we have a tendency to think of sin as, well, I messed up, God forgive me, and we're all good to go. I think we, we take sin, we, because especially those of us that have, that have been raised in church, and we've heard that, you know, we've heard that word over and over and over, sin. But we forget the fact that sin is dishonoring to God. It belittles his value. I think that we have a tendency, like I said, to really not take it too seriously. But what we, we learn, if you read, is that sin causes us to lack the glory of God. Paul says that we have all sinned and that we are exchanging and therefore we are lacking the glory of God and therefore we are dishonoring the glory of God. And we all know that wasn't the original plan. God created us to display his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says that everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, why? For my glory, whom I formed and made. The reason that we exist, the reason that everything in this world exists, is to display the glory of God. See, one of the things that we forget is that this Bible was not written for us. It was written to glorify God. Secondary to that is that there's stuff in here we need, right? That's for us. But the purpose of everything is to glorify God. But the reason that there's so much dysfunction and there's so much chaos in this world is because the world is in rebellion against God's purpose. And what, 
like we just said, we are here, everything is to glorify God, but this world rebels against that purpose. They rebel against glorifying God. So is it really a surprise to us that this world is all messed up, that it's all upside down and backwards? That what we see on the television, we just shake our head at it and say, how can that be? I mean, this, like I said, this world was designed by God to display his glory, but the human race is set on glorifying everything but God. We have a tendency to love other things more than we love God. We treat God and his glory with indifference. We give him our spare time. We give him our spare attention if we acknowledge him at all. We have a tendency to call out to his name when things aren't going right for us. But when things are going really well, we don't really call on him that much. And what happens is this creates a huge problem for every one of us. And that problem is, how do we get right with God? How will we ever be accepted into eternity by God when all of us sinned and we have all devalued his infinite worth? Well, lucky for us, that answer is in verse 24. But before we go there, we have stuff to look at. Remember that this section, back in verse 21, began with the declaration that something was going to happen. Verse 21 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. So what happened in history that makes Paul proclaim, But now? Something happened that is going to manifest the righteousness of God. Not, he says, the legal righteousness of the law which condemns us, but the righteousness of God that justifies us. And you know what? There is no other religion in the world that knows about this great now that he's talking about. So what is this great event that he's saying? What is, what, what's happening now, as Paul says? Well, this great now that Paul's talking about, this is the arrival of Jesus Christ. And verse 24 tells us about that event, and it tells us the effects of that event. So let's look at verse 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now what is so great about this verse is that it tells us all about what God has done to save us, and nothing about that we're supposed to do something. It tells us nothing about you need to do this. and you, It's all about God. It's all about what God has done. God has a solution for the huge problem that we created through our sin. So I want to look at the four descriptions in this verse of what God has done to make sinners right with himself. First, being justified. The second one, as a gift. The third one, by his grace. And the fourth one, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We're going to take a few minutes and we're going to break each of them down and we're going to look at them. So let's do that. Being justified, the first phrase we see. Now I want us to notice three things about this phrase, being justified. The first being that the verb is passive. And what that tells us is that justification is the result of an outside source. Right? We're not doing this. It's being done to us. 
Justifying is something that God does, not something that we do. And being justified defines the believer's God-appointed permanent state. The second thing about this phrase is the word justified. Now, in the original language, the word justified used here and the word righteousness back in verse 22 have the same root, and that's the chi. And what that tells us, it shows us that the meaning of being justified in verse 24 and the meaning of righteousness through faith in verse 22 are very, very similar. And so what happens is being justified is the righteousness of God that comes to us not as condemnation, but as justification. But that raises the third question. And the third thing I want to look about, about being justified, in what sense do we receive righteousness? All right, so what do I mean by that? Are we made righteousness, righteous in the act of justification, or are we declared righteous in the act of justification? Because there's a big difference in being made. If you are made, that is all of you, right? You inside out. If you are declared then that's from the outside, right? That's somebody else doing that. If we look at Proverbs 17, 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination of the Lord. So when you condemn someone, you declare their guilt and assign their punishment. You do not make them guilty. And just when you justify someone, you declare they're innocent and you set them free. You don't make them innocent. So what we see when we look at this is that justifying is not making someone just, but declaring someone just. So a little bit, let's break it down just a little bit more. Luke 7.29. If we read it out of the ESV, it says, When all the people heard this and the text collectors too, they declared God just. And the NASB, it reads the same verse, 729, the NASB, when all the people in the text collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice. So why do we care? Because declared and acknowledged in Luke 7 are the same word, they're translated from the same word that here in Romans 3.24 is translated as justified. So being justified is not an act that makes us righteous. It is an act that acknowledges or declares us righteousness. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. God's act of justification is not inside us. It's from outside of us. It's not in us. It's for us. It is not a change of our nature. It's a change of our standing before God. Justification is the act of God once and for all declaring us just and righteous in his sight. And if you're, a, if you're a picture person, God removes your robe that is dirty and sinful. He takes it off. He puts his righteous, clean robe on, and that's all he sees when he looks at you. That's what justification is. The second part of this phrase, the, the, the second phrase that I want to look at, 
as a gift. Being justified as a gift. This act of being justified is done for us, he says, as a gift. Now, this word is used other places, and it makes it really clear to kind of get the total meaning of it. We're going to go to Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water, listen to this, the water of life, without cost. Without cost translates the exact same word that here is translated as a gift. So the point is that we are justified in such a way that we cannot pay for it. You cannot purchase your justification. It is a gift. It is free. There is no payment that you can make. God's act of justification is a free gift. The third phrase, by his grace. Being justified is a gift by his grace. Grace. It's one of the most important words in the letters of Paul. He uses it 95 times. So he, there must be something to it, right? 95 times. So what does Paul mean when he says that God's act of justifying is by his grace? Again, we're going to go to other verses and see how it's used. Romans 4.4 4 in the NASB. Now, to the one who works, the wages are not credited as a favor, but as what is due. Same verse, Romans 4, 4, NIV. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So, the word translated as favor in the NASB and as gift in the NIV are both the same word, charis. The definition of that word is undeserved favor. Now, what do we know is undeserved favor? Grace. So the point is that if you work for somebody, you don't get grace. You get wages. If you work for somebody, you do, they don't owe you grace. They owe you a debt. And that is why you cannot work for your justification because God cannot be put into your debt. Romans eleven thirty five. Speaking of God, who, who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? In other words, who can do something for God that God would owe you anything? And the answer is no one. Pop down one more verse to, 11, to 1136 and he gives us the reason. From him and through him and for him are all things. Now pick your feet up because it's going to hurt. Paul states the, the hard truth here. God doesn't need us. He simply does not need us. He needs nothing from us. He does not require our existence. He will exist in completeness for eternity regardless of what your response to his offer is. But the good news is that he wants us. Now I want you to think about that. The creator of the universe wants you. He wants a relationship with you. So if you're going to get something by grace, you can't work for it. Grace, grace is the good that you get from somebody who owes you absolutely nothing. 
And that's what Paul means when he says that we are justified as a gift by his grace, that we cannot work for our justification. So the phrase as a gift means you can't pay for it. And the phrase by his grace means you can't work for it. So if you can't pay for it and you can't work for it, then what's the basis of it? How can God declare a sinner to be righteous? How can it be just to justify the ungodly? And Paul answers that in the last half, the last little phrase of verse 24. He says, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? What is redemption? What does that word redemption mean? In the original language, the redemption, that word redemption is apolotrosis. And inside that big word, apolotrosis, is a little bitty word, lutron, which means ransom. So in other words, the idea of redemption is deliverance or release by payment of a ransom. And we all understand that. The question is, what's the ransom? Now that word ransom, that word ransom or lutron, is used only one time, and that's in Mark 10:45. You all know this verse. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom, a lutron for many. See, our sins hold us captive. We're unable to be included in God's family, and the price of that sin is death. So the answer to the question, what's the ransom, is that the life of Jesus is the ransom paid in redemption. And that's what Paul means when he says the redemption, the ransom, which is in Christ Jesus. The redemption is in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus is the ransom. He gave his life so that we could be delivered from the guilt and the condemnation, and the power of God devaluing sin. Which, if you remember, is what we discussed, is the universal problem back in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve the penalty of death because of our sin. But here's the foundation of our justification. Christ gave his life as a ransom. He paid the price for the release from sin, from guilt, from condemnation, for those who believe. And this is why now, as Paul said, as a gift, by his grace, God justifies the ungodly. I mean, everything, everything is owed to the death of Jesus Christ. This is why we can't pay for it. This is why we can't work for it. Because it is all about Jesus. And that's the basis for our justification. It's not in ourselves or anything that we do. It is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So let's get it straight. Being justified is God's declaration that you are righteous in his sight. But you can't pay for it because it's a free gift. And you can't work for it because it's by his grace. And you were ransomed through the redemption in Christ Jesus. So how in the world do I get this justification? 
Back to verse 22. It is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. That little phrase, righteousness of God, is all that God is. It's all that God commands. It's all that God demands. It's all that he approves. It's all that he provides through faith in Jesus. So God's plan of declaring sinners as righteous is through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the way that we receive God's righteousness. It is faith that answers the law's accusations against man. God did what man couldn't do. He provided a solution for our sin. By faith in Jesus Christ. So what is faith? Because mere belief in God ain't going to cut it. Even the demons believe in God. Faith in Jesus Christ is required. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith means putting your trust in God and having the confidence that he will fulfill all of his promises. Faith means complete, it's an important word, complete reliance on Jesus Christ as your only Savior from sin and your only hope for heaven. So, the truth is that we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. The truth is we all deserve hell. The truth is we deserve to be separated from God. The good news is we're justified freely by God's grace, which is the basis on the redemption price that was paid in full at Calvary. We can be forgiven of our sins by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is a free gift. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. You only have to accept it. That's it. You just have to accept it. We all know John 3.16. Can you all, what is John 3.16? Say it. For God. I'm going to assume you got that right. What is 3.17? Oh. Did not come to the world to condemn but to save. You know why he didn't come to condemn? Because you're already condemned. You're condemned because of the sin that happened in the garden. That's why Jesus Christ came to save. All you have to do is accept it. If there's anyone in here that has not accepted the free gift, it's not some magic prayer that you have to say. All you have to do is just admit that you need a Savior. Admit that you have sinned. Ask Him to come in to cleanse you. And believe. Believe in your heart, not in your head. Believe in your heart. If you have already accepted that free gift, how often do you thank Him for that? 
See, this is what hit me when I was studying. Is how often do I tell him thank you? That I don't have to go to hell. So, as Roger is going to play, I want you to worship, but I want you to thank him. I want you to do one-on-one with God. Just have some time with him for a minute, please. All right, because he died for us. He did that because he loved us.